Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with John Russell, who's the Managing Director and Founder at Accumulify Wealth. Now, John's a little bit unusual in the fact that he is an accountant, a financial planner, and a real estate agent. And we have a chat to him about the interplay between all of those bits of advice and then the asset allocation strategies as well. So he has a chat to us about some of the key ways that people at different stages of life can grow their wealth, a few tips for saving and we have a chat to him about the types of properties that he looks to inject into his clients portfolios as well he shares some great advice and uh, tips for saving and getting ahead and i'm sure this is one that you'll enjoy here's john john russell thanks for joining me on geared for growth thanks mike how you doing yeah, I'm doing well, and uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. For for those who maybe haven't heard of you before, John, can you give us a bit of an intro into who you are and what you specialise in? Yeah, certainly, certainly. So um, I'm the director and founder of Accumulify Wealth Management. Um, really what, what we do is focus on wealth accumulation for Australians uh, and Probably younger Australians is uh, the demographic. Uh, people around uh, twenty to twenty to forty-five. Um, no offence, the oldies or anything out there, <laughs> but um, that's uh, that's really the the main sort of uh, focus for the business. And any particular reason why that sort of wealth range is it? I guess is it you're not specialised in the retirement or not interested, or is it more about sort of the impact that you think that you could uh, have with with people of that demographic or age group when they're you know in that saving or wealth accumul- accumulation phase? Yeah, certainly the latter. Um, there's there's so much you can do um, from a from an investment standpoint and from changing people's uh, trajectory, uh, you know, mo- moving forward when they're a little bit younger. When they're a little bit older, it's, it's more about managing, you know, managing their, I guess, their investments, their expectations, obviously, of, of their investments. Um, and there's nothing really creative that, um, in, in my opinion, that you can really do to, to substantially help people. Uh, differences for younger younger people, you know, the the typical difference I see is uh, you know over a million dollars for someone who's maybe you know just over thirty five between you know the the time they come and see me to when they plan to retire. Um, so that's the sort of projected differences that um, we're seeing. That's good. That's our clickbag sorted for this interview. Get over an extra million dollars by listening to to John on this podcast. So we're going to we're going to dive into that, and you're going to have to deliver on that promise. But let's talk about the bedroom uh, wall. What posters did you have up as a youngster growing up, John? Mate, uh, I'm a raving basketball fan. So uh, for those of you who don't know him, uh, Google Michael Jordan. Um, so there's a few, <laughs> few Michael Jordan uh, pictures up. Uh, look, in terms of in terms of other interests, obviously uh, travel is huge. So I grew up a, as a big fan of um, you know big. Big, nice sort of uh, properties in Mykonos and Thailand and all that sort of stuff. So, some really sort of large, uh, <laughs> large aspirations as a child, and uh, also some uh, some nice cars as well. Right. So that's uh, obviously the reason why you needed to specialize in uh, accumulating wealth is to yeah. is to pay for these <laughs> dreams on the bedroom wall. What What about property? How did you first get started in property, and what was your first investment? So first getting started in property. So I actually started out as as an accountant. So I'm a qualified accountant as well, um, and a bit of a, a bit of a probably maybe a shock uh, shock story to, to listeners out there, but um, I had brain surgery uh, to, uh, to correct a um, <coughs> to correct a little bit of an issue I had. I had a touch of Tourette syndrome, so I had uh, what was called deep brain simulation, sorry, um, to uh, correct my Tourette syndrome. Uh, that was something that I, uh, I planned on for quite a while and really – after after that, 
the doors really open for me um, in terms of what I was able to do. Obviously, uh, getting getting stuck into accounting when you've got Tourette's is uh, pretty pretty sort of easy. Uh, you become the very typical atypical sort of accountant. People might actually just really gravitate to someone that's a little bit different, I guess. But I mean, it, it's easy to think of that as sort of being, you know, a, a, a funny sort of thing. But I'm, I'm guessing the reality of living with it is, is it's not always as hilarious as it's made out to be in the movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. It's uh, it, it, look, it can be a little bit challenging, um, obviously, but uh, it, it doesn't lend itself to uh, your typical face-to-face uh, sales, as <laughs> uh, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um. So, I, like, I I went from working, you know, working in accounting at at quite a high level at a young age, um, to really just wanting to get out of my comfort zone and really do something that I. I guess I really wasn't able in my own mind to do previously, which was, which was property, uh, property sales. So, um, so I got into real estate working for LJ Hooker. Um, so that was, uh, was an interesting experience, but also eye opening, which is great. So, I mean, that seems like almost like a bit of a, a backward step. You're a, you're a counter of beans, you're a finance guru, you've got some experience in the, in the top end of town. And then, you know, with all due respect to our real estate agent listeners, I'm guessing that you're maybe starting from the beginning. Somewhere in there, there might have been a pay cut. Yes, there was a massive pay cut uh, in in there. Um, that that's for sure. the 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 big thing about my, I guess, my career is I've I've never never really been a hundred percent focused on the money component pre thirty. Um, that's that's always been you know a bit of advice that I've uh, I've been passed down. Um, is that uh, and hopefully I'll be able to do that one day with my own my own kids. Is really focus on your career development, focus on learning, focus on you know, exposing yourself to new new um, you know, new tools, uh, new sort of uh, skills, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and this was this was certainly one of those things. I, I really wanted to to learn something different, um, and the cost of the, the price of learning something different was obviously uh, taking a financial step back, uh, but certainly not a uh, not a not a professional step back. I'd, I'd say, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. But I guess what doesn't make perfect sense to me is is we we know about the the connection between accountants and fin- financial planners. That we're we're sort of seeing those, I guess, those different services merge into the same office sometimes, but. Then you've also got in your business the real estate offering as well. Normally, you know, you've got your accounting and your financial planning on one side, and then real estate is sort of like a, a completely different sort of thing. Um, why do you think that is? I think uh, I think it's just a big part of it is obviously legislation. Um, it's it's very expensive to to operate a business. I guess that runs a, a real estate license and accounting license and financial planning license uh, and being able to pull it all together. Um, but the, the reality is, is that all of these things have a knock-on effect and they really do impact each other. Being able to give advice around all of those areas just, just sort of makes sense. So you do see a lot of your quasi sort of accountant financial advisors out there. And look, some, some of them are great. Uh, I've worked, I've worked sort of with uh, a few of them before and they, they do do a, a great job. Um, and it, it's sort of, it's one of those things where a lot of, a lot of accountants will talk to, um, talk to, you know, their clients and say, look, you know, go see, go see Joe Bloggs financial planning. Uh, because I, I'm not licensed to give that advice. The good ones will anyway if, if they're not licensed um, and vice versa with, uh, with financial planners. Um, but the big thing around it is that most Australians in terms of investing see property as their biggest investment vehicle. So there's typically a, a displacement there of 
um, finding uh, finding a place for the property profession on the entire transaction. And most people are sort of left to their own avail, trying to find uh, a, a real estate agent that sort of understands their financial plan, which let's be honest, and again, no offense to any of the real estate agents out there, but um, not many people would understand, um, you know, the the knock-on effect of making mistakes in in real estate as as well. Um, so, in in terms of in terms of you know bringing it all together, um, it's certainly it's certainly been something that I've I've you know invested in and wanted uh, wanted to do for a very long time. Let's go back to the beginning a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. Just talking about wealth creation, I mean, that's obviously where you sort of pitch your business. It's accumulating wealth. It's sort of, you know, ingrained in the name of your business. Can you sort of run us through what are some of the key considerations for someone that's simply just trying to increase their, their net wealth, say they're coming to you in their, in their 20s? Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, uh, the, like, like you said, the whole simplistic idea, uh, simplified, I guess, is, uh, is, you know, ingrained in, in the name. Um, the, I guess the key considerations that, that we look at for, for people to really get a, get a good grasp of, of building their wealth, they need to understand a few things. Um, and those few things, I, I personally think, are their appetite to risk, so their own sort of risk profile, uh, what they're willing to do and what they're willing not to do, how they can sort of get to sleep at night and all that sort of stuff. Um, the, the power of leverage would be the second one, so the power of gearing, uh, borrowing money. Uh, and the third thing would be just simply the power of compounding. So whether that be in superannuation or in your personal investments, um, being able to utilize the power of time, the one thing that we can't change or have any control over, uh, is, is really, really an important piece into increasing and maximizing your, your wealth moving forward. Beautiful. Well, we're we're certainly going to dive into some of those those concepts. Certainly, the the risk side of things and 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 looking at uh, like gearing into property. But I'm interested where you typically sort of find your clients from. How how do they come into your sphere of influence? I guess I, I work with quite a few mortgage brokers, um, and obviously always always keen to keen to talk to more, um, particularly ones with uh, nice nice clients that uh, that uh, you know like and appreciate advice. Um, but typically, a lot of in my experience, a lot of clients will start with their own home um, and their first. The first experience with a financial professional will be a mortgage broker and mortgage brokers then tend to have quite a good influence or quite a strong, sorry, influence over, over that client. Um, and if that, that client really trusts the, the mortgage broker, um, they're able to generally pass on, you know, pass on my number uh, to to the client. Client gives me a call, and then I can go ahead and identify a few things that they probably need. Obviously, if they're borrowing money to buy buy their home, they're going to need things like income protection. They might need life insurance, total per, uh, disability insurance. Not to bore people out there, but insur- <laughs> insurance is a big piece of uh, of what we do in terms of. Of, uh, risk mitigation, um, but that that's a that's generally a good a good starting point, uh, and uh, and just being able to work with that mortgage broker over time um, to help to help that client I guess build their portfolio. Uh, any any borrowings or anything like that always stay with that uh, particular referrer. Um, and it's, it's a good way to sort of, I guess, build, build, um, a, a really nice relationship with the client where they've got, you know, their initial sort of trusted advisor there, but then they've also got someone else looking over, over the work as well, um, making sure that, um, everything's covered if, 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 you know, something goes wrong. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, you're a good value add to the mortgage brokers, and as you say, they're, they're sort of the first step in the in the property investing journey. Let's say let's say you do have a mortgage broker that's refer, referred you somebody. They're looking to save for a loan, so they went they got in touch with the broker to say, "How do I buy a bloody house this day and age when avocados my favourite thing to eat for breakfast? What have you?" Um, <laughs> let, let's say we've got this young wage earner that's renting a property. They're planning for their long-term future. What are some of the key steps and things that you implement from the beginning to get them on the right track? We talked about the, you know, the three concept with risk and leverage and gearing and compounding. Let's say you're explaining that, but what are we talking from an implementation point of view? In terms of that, it's, it's, really, it's really, really simple. I mean, you, you, have, to look at, you have to look at how to, how to start saving money. Um, you know, sa- saving money, it, it, it sounds, it sounds, oh, it sounds hard for some people, but for, for others, it sounds quite easy. Um, and that's, I think, the reason why a lot of people struggle, um, because it, it just seems easy. And at the end of the day, it, it's actually, it's actually a financial planning strategy to save money. Um, not, not many people actually realize that. Uh, so there's a, a, I guess, a gem, a bit of free advice for everyone. Um, save some money. Um, <laughs> we're, not, we're not breaking any uh, new ground on that one, John. But, but sa- saving money, I mean, it does sound simple. For some people, it sounds hard because their, their income is, is pretty low and their cost of just being alive is pretty high. But how, how, how do we save money? I mean, to, to me, it, yes, you could say you, you spend less than you earn but what why are people struggling with saving money certainly young people and i know there are obvious exceptions is it is it like sort of the older people like to assert and that they just want the new iphone so they blow it away or is it the cost of living like is it genuinely a hard thing and and can you give us some tips on saving money yeah, certainly, certainly. So I'll start with the the first the first part there. The um the whole living beyond your means uh, thing is probably something that uh, I think everyone's guilty of at, at some point in their life. I certainly have been um at, at one point or another. Um, the the ability to really just just ensure that you're putting away I've, I've always said put away that 10 percent of your salary i know it's the the rich dad poor dad oh, sorry not rich dad poor dad um uh, richest man in babylon uh quote so if you're thinking of reading the book don't worry that's basically the the summary of it um, <laughs> we've just we've just smashed his global book sales by saying just chip off 10 percent <laughs> Essentially, it's a, that, that's the entire book uh, summarized right there. <laughs> right. Um, but if, if you if you can put away ten percent of your salary and just think of it not as not as money that that you have. Think like this is this is what superannuation is. You know, you at the moment it's nine and a half percent goes to goes to superannuation. If you can just put away another ten percent of your earnings into into a pot. And just just leave it there. It might be a high interest account, um, something that's safe and secure. Um, you know that that is going to help you save money. And just treat it as treat it as money that you don't have. Um, a lot of people struggle to have a, a conversation with their payroll officers. So I, I always say. Just have have a chat with your, your payroll team. They can very easily, with you know zero accounting and all that sort of stuff, mild. They can very easily direct ninety percent of your salary to one bank account and ten percent to another. Um, they're already doing it with your superannuation, so it, it's it's a conversation that I think most people should have um, to to really help sort of propel that initial savings period. Uh, and the second thing in terms of tips and tools, uh, I'd say uh, I use Raise, um, and you know I don't get paid by Raise or anything like that. So you know full disclosure there. Um, but Raise is is a is an app that basically it, it rounds up your um, your expenses. So if I spend three 
390 on on a coffee it'll put 10 cents aside in a bucket to basically um, invest that into into the market now it doesn't seem like much and as with everything um, when you first start out nothing seems like much um, but these things add up over time um, I've had I've had this app for a couple of years now and just little things like when it comes to Christmas time I don't have to fork out a lot of money um, you know it might be it might be that my raise account has you know enough money in there to cover all the Christmas presents things like that really sort of helps um, helps with your cash flow and helps you not get into any sort of unnecessary credit card debt which I think is probably the the biggest biggest thing when it comes to living beyond your your means um, people utilizing uh, credit facilities to go on holidays they can't afford and do stuff that they can't afford and consequently uh, screwed for the uh, majority of their their sort of um, adolescent life. I think that's uh, that's that's a pretty good tip in that one. And just did a a quick mad Google on Ray's. It took me eight goes to spell it. R A I Z. Yes. <laughs> and the uh, the URL is r a i z invest dot So yeah, that is an interesting one. I'll have to have a look at that. It's a great one. Yeah, certainly those day to day transactions. Yeah, if we can, uh, if I can finance Christmas by by a couple of coffee roundups, then that sounds like a good idea. What about um, what about we take the next steps? Let's say someone comes to you and they've already got say an investment property and they've got a rough goal that they want to retire with a paid off house and they want to go to to one of the the Greek islands on your bedroom wall uh, <laughs> once a year and have sort of like a moderate, uh, you know, relatively stress-free but you know somewhat modest living i don't know what that would be 50 100 grand a year or something like that what what are some of the implementation strategies and the things that you zero in on for someone that that sort of fits that rough description yeah look um they i'm, I'm assuming they have their own home at the moment as well is that is that fair yes yep so they've got an investment property. I mean, I'm making this up as I go along, but they've got one investment property. They've got their own home, and their goal is to um, to, to have that paid off in retirement. Yep. So obviously, um, you know, if they didn't have their own home, it'd be to focus on getting them into their own home. Um, but for for most people that have have uh, have an existing home, have an investment property, probably looking um, back at simple debt structuring things. Um, so little financial planning strategies that we use are things like debt reduction. So effectively utilizing an offset account is, is a strategy. Uh, debt recycling is a strategy as well. So having all income and expenses coming out of one offset account that is offsetting your um, your bad debt to your home loan. Um, that that's a really good strategy that you can use to really really cascade um, you know your debt down um, and really sort of work towards building um, building your your other assets. Um, because at the end of the day, look. One grand, like you mentioned, fifty thousand dollars a year, a thousand dollars per week, really doesn't cut it um, in 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 my mind. Um, I'd suggest for for most people um, that that's not really the goal. Um, from from the the stats that have come out recently, about two thirds of Australians retire on the pension. Um, so unfortunately, two thirds of Australians are probably living a pretty meager lifestyle um i know my my grandparents did um you know it's not it's not a lifestyle that's um conducive to being able to certainly be stress-free um or have that annual holiday it might be a holiday every five years they really need to penny pinch and all that sort of stuff um but really understanding um what what the requirement is 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 a skill uh, like you said, it's stress-free, modest living for you and for myself and maybe for, for my wife <laughs> might be um, completely different. Um, you know, the the idea that it's a one-size-fit-all fit um, approach, which is probably where the government sort of heads, um, it, it's not really realistic. Um, so 
I really think to to really sustain something long term, um, you want to provide yourself with that balanced income stream uh, that's reliable. So I'd, I'd sort of look at solid asset allocation across residential property um, and the share market. Um, so that that'll provide you with obviously rental income and a mix of dividends and trust distributions um, to give you um, that, those income streams moving forward. That was going to be my next question and, and where you stand from an asset selection point of view because you're a little bit unique in being a financial planner with that real estate bent, which is they're normally sort of quite strange bedfellows. Um, are, are you fairly well all in on property or would you not recommend that to say someone that has a low income and, and maybe could only get in with a high interest rate loan because they'd need you know 90% or something like that? Look, the it, it's a... Bit of a loaded question, but um, I'm, I, <laughs> stay I'm tuned a, for more of those. <laughs> look, I, I'm a I'm a traditionalist um, in terms of my my views, so I'm always looking at a, a 50-50 equitable ownership of both property and shares. Um, if you're in that position where it, it, it is possible, um, look, if you're on a lower income, uh, both. Both can still be done. Um, obviously, obviously the savings piece comes into it a little bit more uh, heavily there. So you're going to save a little bit more money, work a little bit, a little bit harder sometimes. Um, but it's about capitalizing on those great opportunities when they're available and not sacrificing on the quality um, to be able to build your portfolio long term. Um, so that, I think that's really where professional help um, comes in for, for from someone that really understands markets and share markets, property markets and all that sort of stuff. And while sort of high interest LVR loans aren't exactly desirable, um, sometimes they're necessary evil to, to growing wealth. Um, and keeping in mind, you always need a buffer and a safety amount and that nothing will change that. Um, but you know, you, you never want to be forced to sell an asset prematurely. So just understanding that the, the, the benefits of having that, um, balanced approach to investments and balanced approach to investing is also a risk medi- um, mitigation technique as, as well. Um, so I think that's really important to, to mention. When you talk about sort of a, uh, being a traditionalist and the ideal is the 50-50 split, I'm wondering how common that is, right? Because if you want to, say, invest in an in, uh, in investment property, then you've got a loan, so you, you might actually be, be, you know, be borrowing 80 or 90% on that investment property. T- typically, does the same thing have with shares? Do a lot of Australians borrow money to, in, to invest in a portfolio? Not in my experience. So most most people in my in in my experience are, are super comfortable investing in property. Um, there's there's a reason for that. I'll I'll get back to it. Um, and they're absolutely scared out of their mind to borrow to invest in shares. And there's a there's a good reason for that as well. Um, it's called the GFC. You probably heard of that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> where where people lost money to their hand over fist because they were geared. Up, um, you know, to some in some cases ninety percent, um, where the the value of the shares dropped, and they had to keep keep selling down their you know sort of their sort of own share portfolio, and that they were left with essentially debt with nothing, uh, unfortunately. Um, so that that's one big reason. Um, I think the the overall gearing portfolio around around um, around shares, for instance, um, has dropped from uh, pre-GFC around about you know, $40 billion to uh, around about 10 to $15 billion now. So you can see that change uh, in, in the last sort of you know, 10, 12 years, just in the appetite for gearing against shares. In terms of gearing against property, everyone's pretty okay with it. And like I said, I'd come back to it. The reason is there's no margin call. So you're never forced to to sell a property because because the uh, the value of it isn't in line with your loan to value ratio from from the bank. It's just not part of the mortgage documentation, um, which is which is great because 
Mike, I'll, I'll ask you if your if your property tomorrow dropped by fifty percent, what would you do? I'd hold like buggery. Yes, exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, not knowing that you can hold like buggery, you you can just hold on to it and it, look. For all intensive purposes, from what we know, based on history, it's going to come back. You know, it, it's going to come back to at least its initial value. You only lose money when you capitalize on that loss, um, which look a, a lot of people obviously do. Um, when they're just dabbling with cash and shares, um, but when when they're sort of in in a proper share portfolio that's well diversified, that doesn't see too many peaks and troughs, and they've got a strategy um, as well in there um, behind the investments, people don't generally fire sale um, their their shares if they've done it properly. Um, my, And when I say done it properly, they've got advice um, around it and they understand that with the good comes the bad, Uh, what goes up goes down and what goes down will eventually come up and and whatnot. Um, And that's really, you know, the the sort of the key to that 50-50 equitable uh, ownership. And when I say equitable, what I mean by that um, for, for listeners that don't understand that is that if I put $100,000 into an investment property of my own cash um, and I might borrow $300,000 um, to complete the sale um, to, to buy a $400,000 property, I might be comfortable investing $100,000 into the share market as well. So while I own a $400,000 property and only $100,000 of shares, your component of actual ownership is really 50-50. Yeah, okay. Well, before our property investors get upset and start sending me in hate mail we've got to talk about property because this is a property investing podcast now what sort of properties are you recommending to your clients is there a i guess a a rough template are you looking at say a house first unit is it blue chip is it cash flow is it um, growth can you give us a bit of an insight into into the sort of stuff that you covet for your clients yeah absolutely the probably the the biggest the biggest thing and the biggest reason why I think um, why property and and accounting and financial planning, this whole wealth management game stands well together is that it starts with the client, not with the end product. Um, that that's that's really important to note. A lot of real estate agents, all of the real estate agents really out there, they have a listing and they want to sell that. Uh, they it doesn't matter whether it fits in that person's portfolio. Um, they want to sell it to whoever is going to buy it, right? Um, for for us and well for for me certainly, it's about finding finding something that fits my client's circumstances. So, what are they looking to achieve? So, what are their goals? Um, you know, what can they afford um, as you know, a comfortable amount, uh, both from an expense point of view in terms of how much can they afford to pay, um, but also but also how much. How much can they afford on the affordability side of things in terms of their cash flow? Can they can they afford to be negatively geared at all? Uh, do they need it to need the property to pretty much there or thereabouts pay for itself? Um, you know, they're the sort of things that I'm looking at in terms of uh, in terms of a starting point for a property, uh, and then then it's then it's going out in the market looking at new residences. So only really look at new properties. Um, a few reasons for that. Uh, typically, uh, typically depreciation is going to help out with cash flow. Um, so that's the big thing. So obviously, you can't claim uh, fixtures and fittings uh, depreciation on subsequently owned properties anymore. Uh, so that makes a big difference uh, in terms of in terms of you know what what you guys what you guys do. Yeah, you are triggering past traumas though, John. I've got to say. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know, I know, I do know. Um, but yeah, we're, we're talking about moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, so that that's a big piece, um, obviously. Um, making sure that uh, making sure that they're within within that ten to fifteen kilometer radius of the CBD. Um, and look for for me, whether it's an apartment, a townhouse, or a house. I, I have my own opinions. I, I know from, you know, historical data that houses will generally have a, a couple percent better growth, um, or, you know, maybe one percent better growth, um, and it might have a, a little bit worse yield and vice versa on, on the apartment, um, point of, you know, uh, point of view. Um, and just really understanding, understanding that, but understanding that when property markets grow, they grow from the center out, uh, typically is what we've seen. So you really, what you're doing by getting close is you're, you're, I guess, minimizing your downside, if that makes sense. So it's really a, a hedging play, um, where, where, you know, you're not, sort of putting everything on black at the casino, you know, you're hedging your bets and just, you know, letting, letting history really govern, govern your decisions moving forward. So uh, that, that's obviously the, the other thing that, that comes into play in terms of really big, uh, really big decisions. Then there's things like builder reputations, obviously is a, a massive one. I like to meet the developers before uh, any recommendations are done. Um, and time frame as well. What What's the time frame for this client? Can they afford it now? Will they afford it in a, a couple of years? Things like that, um, if off the plan might be a an option. Um, so there, there's certainly a whole lot of, uh, property recommendations that I look at, uh, as, as you can probably, probably tell. Yeah. It's just, it's really finding out what fits with, with the client, um, first and foremost. So just just on that, I'm interested in the the due diligence a little bit and and where you see some property opportunities. Um, just to to reiterate your point, and it is a, a definite point on the the podcast or a bit of a theme that we do like to sort of go strategy first and then the investment. Um, so obviously, what you're you're trying to achieve is more important than the actual property. But the property is kind of the the fun stuff, and you you can't be too angry at us for wanting our dessert first. <laughs> exactly right. So, just to indulge us a, a little bit, can you can you sort of, I guess, outline where you see some big opportunities for property for wealth creation? What sort of what sort of areas, for example, or you know, you you mentioned properties. Um, you know, I guess the 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 growth radiating from the the, the middle of the city. So, is that where you're looking for maybe opportunities on the on the fringes where the price point is good, but you're still going to be able to get some of that scarcity? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, uh, coming back, I guess, uh, just uh, initially to your, your first point around um, the strategy, I uh, just wanted to cover off on, on that because that's a really important piece and something that a lot of people forget. <laughs> um, you financial planners, you're sticklers for strategy? Uh, we, look, we are for, for a big reason, uh, <laughs> is that any, any product, whether it be a property, um, uh, you know, parcel shares, anything like that, it's, it's a vehicle. Um, you know, it's a vehicle inside the strategy. Um, you know, you've just really got to make sure that obviously, obviously mistakes can be made inside the vehicle, but I'd say that, um, I'd say that a strategy will do about 80% of your heavy lifting, um, in terms of getting from A to B. Um, that's what, you know, research is, uh, has sort of told us, um, over the years. So look, I'd, I'd certainly suggest, uh, if, <laughs> if you are, if you are thinking, should I, should I buy this property or, or not? Just 
seek seek some financial uh, financial help um, initially. Don't go down the road to your old Jay Hookers out there. No offense, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, get that sorted first. Seeing whether it's appropriate for you. Um, but in terms of yeah, in terms of the opportunities um, for for clients, certainly what you mentioned there in and around um, in and around close to the CBD where there are good price points. So there's there's good availability around um around i guess close to the cbd in in suburbs that aren't i guess in flux um, with oversupply so brisbane for instance at the moment is a fantastic opportunity i'm from brisbane clearly um i am i'm actually not by not biased to brisbane because i live here and love it um <laughs> i'm biased because of the price point and the opportunity and the fact that I truly believe that it missed its run um, after Sydney and Melbourne did um, it, and that was all to to do with, you know, APRA and lending guidelines and I won't bore people with, you know, the, the ins and outs with that. Um, but certainly, like I mentioned, that, uh, that little area, um, where there's not an oversupply of um, of particular properties uh, in suburbs that hopefully are within the 10-kilometre radius. Yep. Okay. Well, I mean, that's given us a bit of a, an area to focus on. So that's not, as you say, you, you say you're not um, Brisbane biased, but you have to sort of drop in that you love it, which is a typical sort of thinly veiled bias. But the, the, <laughs> these opportunities, they're, they're across all capital cities. I mean, does it extend to regionals or is that a little bit sort of risk adverse for, for yourself? Yeah, I've never been a big fan of regional properties. Um, I'm I'm pretty pretty clear to all my clients uh, about that. Um, the, look, the reason being is they've really exhibited boom and bust cycles um, throughout throughout history, uh, whereas whereas the you know capital city property markets have really really experienced you know your your sort of I guess. Uh, assumptive growth where it's sort of it's it's gone up and then it's gone flat it's gone up and it's gone flat now that that's sort of a more a, a more um i guess palatable uh palatable way of growing wealth uh, than your boom bust boom bust type uh type investment style I wanted to ask you about uh, what I think is something you've identified as the three different sort of life phases that you help people out with. So looking at your website, there's um, there's some money management planning templates that you have. Um, you've sort of labeled them as, as pre-accumulifier, accumulifier and retire accumulifier. Can you break down sort of these three key life stages and what you think maybe one or two of the most important strategies are? Yeah, certainly, certainly. So, um, look, for, for me, pre, pre-accumifiers are, they're people that they're, they're not yet into, into their own home. Um, you know, so typically superannuation is going to be their, their largest asset along with probably their, um, their, their fortnightly or monthly pay. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all have to start somewhere. Um, so probably a couple of the, the key things for these, these, uh, these people are firstly set a goal. You know, what, what is it that you want? Um, make sure that you start saving, you know, use, use things like raise, um, you know, use your 10%, uh, 10% trick that I was, I was talking about before. Not really a trick, but, um, a 10% trick, we'll call it that. Um, and don't get into any unnecessary credit card debt. Uh, it, it really stunts, uh, stunts people's growth in, in that sort of, um, in that sort of time of their life. Uh, then moving on to your accumulifiers. So they typically have a home. Um, you know, they're, they've got a bit of equity, uh, in that home as, as well. So they're sort of ready to invest. Um, and what, what they can do is, is really take advantage of the, the big strategies that we look at, like debt reduction, debt recycling, um, to really accumulate their wealth um, and shift that that bad debt to good debt at quite a rapid pace. Um, so you know they they can look at 
property investment. They can look at um, share-based investments as well uh, and really, really look at that point to max maximize their their wealth creation um you know p- potential um and then you've got your retire accumulifiers so look it's a space that i i don't i don't uh, deal a lot with um but the for, for me they're, they're pre-retirees or retirees that that need to understand that even though they've finished work, the journey's not over. Um, you know, we back back in the day, we, we used to we used to finish work and and die. That was that was sort of how that, that was how that was how it went. You know, um, you make it sound so romantic. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, well, it, I mean, it, it's the truth. Uh, I think most people uh, can appreciate. I, I don't really talk crap i'd like to talk the truth um but that that's sort of uh that 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 was the way it was um and look for for me um you know i i sort of realized that you know most people are going to live in into their 90s um my grandfather's 93 at the moment my um my pop passed away last year at 88 my nan's 86 um so i've got I've got a lot of you know, elderly, uh, elderly sort of uh, grandparents in my life, and um, you know they're they're clearly you know they're in a position at the moment where they still need money. You know they they still need money, and they've lived for twenty to thirty years longer than their working time frame. Um, so twenty to thirty years of you know, actually actively investing can clearly make a, a massive difference to uh, your your pot of pot of money, I guess, uh, move, moving forward. So I, I like to the the strategy that I like to look at here is what we call a bucket strategy, and that's really just to cater for any sort of cash flow, like current cash flow needs, um, protect cash against any sort of market volatility and ensure that you've got continued uh, investment growth assets um, throughout your retirement uh, moving forward. It's funny how the best advice seems to be sort of quite simple um, and and boring stuff, but it doesn't. I mean that that's I guess your 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 pitch. It's sort of in the tagline of of your business. It's it's you know accumulating wealth simply, right? So, is is the, is there any secret sauce? Like I'm wondering, is there like a, a a major thing that you do when you're bringing people on that you sort of help them from the beginning? I mean things like raise. Obviously that's a that's a good tip, but is it really Really, just helping people execute on things that maybe they fundamentally know are the case, but just don't really know how to get started. Yeah, look, the the, the big thing is probably in and around education. Um, education for people in and around this this sort of stuff is the biggest thing. Uh, it's I, I mentioned mentioned obviously um, you know to I I've finished off a, a book. It's called the the Life Finance Book, um, which I'll release shortly. Um, and you know it, it's it's all about this stuff that we're talking about. You know the how to how to um, understand your risk profile, what that risk profile really means, what investing in shares really means, what can you do, what what can you avoid when you're investing in property, what can you you know look towards if you're investing in property, things like superannuation, its importance, insurance and its importance, really educating people around it. And the funny the funny thing is the when I sort of started writing this book, it was it was actually meant to meant to be called What You Should Have Learned at School. Um, but I I didn't call it that because no one would have known it was a, a finance book, so I had to call it, call it something different because uh, there's a lot of things that we should have learned at school. Um, but this this being probably the one of the most important ones, um, really, is how to how to build and manage and protect your wealth. Uh, it's, it's huge. 
the life finance book keep an eye out for that in all good bookstores uh so <laughs> please let us know on the geared for growth uh facebook page when that comes out and we'll 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 have a look at that um how do people get in touch with you john if they're wanting to have a chat and 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 talk to you about uh, some of the things we've discussed today Definitely. So uh, you can always, uh, obviously, go to the website um, if you if you want to chat. I'm I'm generally uh, on on the chat uh, chat box. Unlike uh, unlike some places, I actually sit there on on the chat bot. Um, it's it's a little cool system that comes through straight to my mobile. I know my wife hates it, but um, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's it, it is pretty cool. It can be creepy for some, um, but Look, I, I, I sort of like it to like it enough to be able to sort of you know gather gather some details initially and and then call afterwards. Um, obviously, you can go go to the website accumulify.com.au. Um, if you don't know how to spell it, A double C U M L I F Y is accumulify.com.au. Uh, catch me on Facebook. It's at accumulify. Um, Call me at the office, 3192-4184. And, yeah, you can always get me on my mobile. All the details are on the website there. But, uh, yeah, feel free to touch base. Send me an email, john at accumulify.com.au. Always happy to help. Get on that live chat sometime between, say, uh, midnight and, and 4 a.m. Uh, John <laughs> reckons is the time to, to chase him. Um, yeah, yeah, on a Sunday morning. <laughs> next, <laughs> next is the uh, divorce. Um, now, John, this might be a, a tricky one uh, for you. When we've shared some, uh, you know, quite a lot of gold on the interview so far. But if, there's, if you can leave us with one piece of advice you would give to, to property investors, what would that be? I think, um, you know, my, <laughs> funnily enough, my, my favorite quote growing up when I was a, a kid was everything happens for a reason. And I think, I think it was Winston Churchill or it, it was someone far more, far more famous than me, um, <laughs> that, that, uh, that said that. And look, if you're listening to this and you've, you've taken a bit from it, um, maybe take that as a sign that everything does happen for a reason. And all I'll say is don't, don't hesitate to pick up the phone. Um, and don't be afraid to seek advice. Uh, the, for, for me, the, the, the biggest, most important thing for, for most people is a lot of people think that getting advice is expensive, but it really doesn't have to be. Um, and if you look at the flip side, the cost of not getting advice in most cases uh, is is really far more costly than getting advice in the long run. A million dollars, you were saying at the beginning, potentially. Exactly, exactly. And you know what? What? How much would you pay now um, to be a million dollars better off in in the future? You know that that's the that's the question you got to ask yourself. And and most people, you know, let, let's be honest, most people would say I'd. I'd pay a lot of money <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. for that sort of advice. Um, so yeah, beautiful. That's uh, that's some fantastic uh, some fantastic notes to leave us on, John. So thank you very much for coming on board. It's uh, been a pleasure chatting with you. No worries, Mike. Thanks for your time, man. Cheers. Mm-hmm.